Welcome to the Everything Podcast, the place for everything education. Whether you're a first-year teacher or a seasoned educator, our mission is to help you employ smart strategies in and out of the classroom. We firmly believe that teacher burnout isn't inevitable. Part inspiration and part implementation, we discuss the why and how to make your classroom effective and sustainable. We're your hosts, Danielle and Nicole. Welcome back to another episode of the Everything Podcast. Danielle, talking about a topic we are super passionate about, have a lot to learn about, a lot we'd like to talk about today, note-taking. Yes. So if you joined us for the first ever Total Teacher Summit, you know, this is a topic that is pretty near and dear to my heart. Um, I have worked with uh, students who they're before the school that I teach at currently, um, the students that I worked with prior to this were all non-native speakers. So teaching note-taking explicitly was really, really important. I was working with students who were preparing for a standardized test. And one of the sections for that standardized test is completely, they listen to a lecture without any background information. They take notes and they answer a bunch of multiple choice comprehension questions about it. So for that reason, I started my career really um, making sure that my students knew how to take really good notes. And now in my current position at my school, uh, one of the levels that I have experienced teaching for the last several years is with the students who are the, the struggling learners are put in this particular class. And one of the reasons that they are kind of classified in a way as these struggling learners is because a lot of them don't know how to take notes from the very beginning. And because they're high school students, people assume that they do. (laughs) Uh, I spend some of the time at the beginning of the year making sure that we're all on the same page with what their notes should look like, um, what my expectations are, the difference between taking notes on a work of fiction versus a work of nonfiction, something out of the textbook, um, all of these things that a lot of people tend to kind of skip over at the beginning of the year. And I think you're absolutely right. This explicit instruction is something we're going to discuss a couple of times today because it really is a learned skill. And it's a skill that as a teacher, you have the responsibility to teach. And as high school educators, we often go in with the assumption or the expectation that students are familiar with how to take notes or they're familiar with how to study, how to prepare themselves. And we know that that's not always the case. And maybe they have an understanding of what it might look like or what it might mean based on their prior experience, but it's time for us to step in and address this in a way that we feel like is really meaningful and provides real value for student success. And that's really the purpose of today's episode. And, you know, the, the talk that you gave at the Total Teacher Summit was all encompassing. It really touched on what it means to be a student in the classroom, what it means to be in that student chair. And I think that that's another topic that is not talked about enough. And again, kind of going into it with certain assumptions and so on, and just being able to really bring light to that is just so important. And I think that today's topic, perhaps you looked at this title that came out and you're thinking to yourself, all right, I know about this, right? Maybe this is something that, you know, I want to get a refresh on and so on. But We really want to examine what we feel like we all kind of know and are quite familiar with and put kind of our own spin on it. Because number one, we recognize that students need that refresh. But number two, we recognize that our current climate 
calls for a re-examination of a lot of the procedures and practices that we know very well. So that's really the purpose of today's episode is to, to give that context and to start to question some of the norms that we know so well in our, in our classroom spaces. So got some things to break down for you today. Yeah, without a doubt. And I feel like that has been an underlying theme of a lot of what we have been doing this season, right? So for season three of the Everything Podcast, I feel like each week we have taken a topic or we've taken on a topic with a guest who that is their their jam, that is their their area of genius. And we've kind of looked at the ways that either a hybrid model or an all remote learning situation forces us to re-examine the things that we've done in our classroom all of the time and it hasn't even been something that we have had reason to reconsider whether that be how we deal with um, putting on our back to school night whether that be what consequences to the wrong behavior looks like, uh, which we got to chat with uh, our friend Maria all about. We were able to talk to Spencer about the way in which a lot of people think they know what STEM is, but that's not necessarily the case. And I feel like, although we've certainly had these discussions before, in terms of a lot of teachers think they might know what flexible seating looks like and why that does or doesn't work for their classroom it's in some ways i think because you know 2020 is difficult for a lot of reasons and it is challenging us in many ways but i think that the people that we are interacting with and learning from want to use this to grow and i think that's what we're we're here to do so we want to think about even if you do take the time to explicitly teach note-taking and student behavior, and we are so happy to hear that you do that because we are huge advocates of it, what are the ways that we can update that in light of what we now know? You know, I mentioned at the start of the recording, we're passionate about this topic. And I think, you know, maybe that word is a little cringy, but I mean it in the way that we understand that there are major results from setting up students. Um, with the right tools to grasp the information. And of course, now they're taking down that information in an entirely new way, which is what leads us to really kind of our, our first point here is yeah. identifying, you know, maybe note-taking looks one way kind of on the outside. We want to really further examine that and even try and um, go deeper. You know, the way that notes look varies mm -hmm. classroom to classroom, grade level to grade level, all of that good stuff. And students may even have their own perception as to how, how notes should look or not look. We're forced mm -hmm. to really take a new spin on that. Perhaps you're in an environment where you're completely relying on technology. And with that, mm -hmm. notes are going to look differently than maybe they would with a you know, three-ring binder in your classroom, taking notes in a spiral notebook and all of that stuff. So first up is to really challenge what um, you know, student perception of how notes should look, and then maybe even the teacher perception of how notes should look. And we're not just talking about the visual, right, what kind of piece of notebook paper, paper you're using, but really thinking about, is this something that is intended to be an add-on to, for example, something that students are actively working on? Are they editing as you're speaking? Are they 
dictating as you are the instructor and they're writing as fast as they humanly possibly can to get done this information, right? And just trying to really sit back and question, is that what I'm intending for this to be as a classroom teacher? Or from a student perspective, is this what my responsibility is? So just starting to kind of break these things down. And I feel like this topic alone is kind of like the, the whole meat here is how are these supposed to look? What's the purpose and what's the point? Yeah. And I think that if you ask a student what good notes look like, they're probably going to assume that fuller is better and quality is maybe not given the priority that it should be and that quantity is really important. Now, that is not to say that quantity doesn't matter. Um, we are going to refer a few times during this episode to a absolutely stellar piece that Jen Gonzalez of Cult of Pedagogy put together. And one of the things that she talks about when she did a deep dive into the research about note-taking is that too often, um, we as strong note takers and educators think that, you know, just, just get the main ideas. You don't want all of the distraction. And this is something that I have definitely taught my students who are like standardized test prepping uh, to do. But if you're thinking about it in terms of the entirety of listening to content that they need to retain for a longer term basis, not for the purposes of answering the question at the, the end of the lecture, the like five comprehension questions. The research says that more is better, but probably not just in a generic way, right? I know that I have, I've personally witnessed students come in and like admire other students' notes for like the homework or whatever it might be because they're so long and you look at it and you realize that's because they wrote down everything in the textbook. No actual processing has taken place. All they have done is copy. And that processing piece is hugely important because when I mentioned that word dictation before, I think that's what often comes into students' minds. Well, this is how the teacher presented it. Therefore, this is how I'm going to see it on the test. Therefore, this is what I should get down because then I can fill in the puzzle piece correctly. Right. But as educators, we understand that it's so much more, it should be so much more than that, right? If we're, we're doing our students the justice of actually educating them in a way that they can then make their own inferences, their own discoveries, and apply the knowledge, we want to make sure that the notes that we're providing them allows for them to have either that space or maybe even the physical space on the page in order to have that kind of extension question, that wondering, whatever it is that you want to call it. And with that in mind, um, really that kind of comes back to that, how should notes look? So I completely agree with you, Danielle. I think about my own note-taking when I was a high school student. And for me, it was all about how it looked. I just wanted to be pretty organized. I had colors, I had, you know, all these things. And that took up, I wanna say 85% of the actual class time processing, which is of course a major regret of mine. And at the time I didn't see anything wrong with it. And of course there's many things wrong with that, but I can think of many of my high schoolers where that's a priority for them as well. And we know, and they know when it comes time to the test, the purple versus pink is not helping anyone. So just trying to kind of break that down and, and help students understand that no matter how much you have or how organized it might look, that's not going to make or break whether or not you understand the content. You have to give yourself that space and time in order to really reflect. And 
I think it might be a nice time to reference Cornell note-taking because I feel like that does a really great job of identifying kind of the major questions or points, providing that subset of notes, and then the summary, really just breaking down kind of like the three major components that I know that note-taking works really well. You know, I've experienced that as a student and as an educator. I know that you're a big fan of that in your classroom as well. Could you speak on that in a more intelligent way than I can? <laughs> so I have been using the Cornell note-taking method with my students because I want to make sure that my students are provided with a structure. And the Cornell note-taking method has been around for quite a while. I don't think it's going anywhere because it works and it works in a way that provides students with a a system it still has visuals it still allows for hierarchy and because of the way each of the um pages of notes are like broken down they're practicing some skills uh like summarizing the information on their own at the end of the lesson after they've taken their notes. So it kind of forces them to do those, those extra steps that go beyond just strict dictation, which is one of the reasons why I really like it. The other reason why I really like it is because I, I mentioned before, it provides a little bit of structure that if I just gave my students the ability to do absolutely anything when it came to taking notes and they just have to hand in their notes at the end of the period so I can make sure they were listening or something like that. Obviously the quality of notes is going to vary pretty substantially, um, but the Cornell note-taking method gives them room for making it their own to some degree without it being the wild west of note-taking. Um, I think that sometimes people go way, way too far into the structure of um, especially outlining. As an English teacher who teaches writing, I know that I have some colleagues who are all about making sure that people are using the right form of Roman numeral at the exact right time when it comes to outlining their own, uh, their piece that they're going to write. And these are things that I don't think are a priority when it comes to teaching, um, when it comes to teaching writing and when it comes to teaching note-taking. However, I do want to make sure that students feel like they can find a system that works with them no matter what text we're reading in my class and will grow with them after they leave my class. This is something that can serve them whether they're sitting in my freshman English class or they're sitting in a huge lecture hall in biology 101 when they get to college. The Cornell note-taking method is going to be a, a long-term kind of uh, skill for them to have and utilize. And because I do have, um, you know, sections of students who don't test particularly well in English when they are uh, given to me at the beginning of the year, I actually will uh, print out templates of the Cornell note-taking method for each of the pieces that we are going to read. Part of the reason I do that is because my students not only struggle with note-taking, they just struggle with organization. And if I don't give them this paper, if I don't have it hole-punched, things like that, I'm just going to find a bunch of them on the classroom floor. And I know this because I know my students. Uh, but it also gets them into the habit of 
seeing what the notes should kind of generally look like. So that way, after we've done it a few times, they can just make it on their own. I can kind of take away that scaffolding that I had at the beginning. I think that sets us up beautifully for our second point here. Who exactly these notes are for? Because as you said, although you as the educator have a great understanding and appreciation for the skills that Cornell note-taking allows you to have as a young adult moving into college or career, we know that students don't always see it like that. So yeah. being able to not just have this as a set rule for your students, but to actually even provide them with the tool, like a printed out version of this for them to then fill in, to maybe even uh, draw those connections for them or to at least encourage it. Because I think that that's kind of half the battle, right? I think of yeah. so many times where there's rules or procedures, expectations teachers have about um, the way that students interact with the information that's presented and even graded on, right? I can think of many of my colleagues who do that exactly, right? Grading in the way that students are, in other words, processing information. But we know that by writing on a piece of paper, they're not necessarily processing anything. So being right. able to really try and break down the question of who is this for? Is this for you to be able to give a classwork participation grade to your students? And to check that box, or is this because you you want to set up students for success in the long term? Biology 101 being the the end goal, or I should say, another step in the in the direction of success. So really, just kind of examining that question, I think that's so well put because it's not just you know is this for me as a teacher, but as a student, you want to make sure that not only are you allowing them the space to try kind of different methodologies of taking notes, but also being able to recognize that. It's not a one-size-fits-all model either. And being able to see through time, maybe they have you again as a teacher, or they even recognize that, hey, this is actually a pretty well-known procedure or tool that I actually use in my high school English class, and I'm using it again now that I'm studying for you know, the GRE, whatever it is. So whatever that might look like for them, I think that making that connection is really important, as, as important as it is for you as the educator to just kind of question and reflect on who is this really benefiting? Yeah, I make sure that when I am teaching them how to use the Cornell note-taking method, they know that this isn't a for English class thing. Um, and they might not realize that on their own if I don't stop and actually mention that to them. And those transferable skills, I think, are often a little bit overlooked. Um, when it comes to our side as teachers, we don't realize that we should take the moment to make sure that students realize that, because otherwise they, they might not realize that I do have those tools. I just learned them in a different grade level, or I learned them in, in a different subject, and yet they're still there. And when I do um, introduce the Cornell note-taking method to them at the beginning of the year, I go through the text with them and I have a um, like projection of it on the board. So they physically watch me taking notes and we make them together. Um, the first time I'm definitely doing more of the note-taking uh, than I will be doing in the future because I do want to make sure that they have a good model to kind of like check against and refer to. Um, but when Nicole would stop by my classroom to have lunch, she would see me erasing all of this stuff on the board. And she's like, don't you need that for your next <laughs> class? And I really have my students generate all of the notes together 
as a class as we're learning this skill. So my period one's notes on that story do not exactly match my period three notes on that story. And I tell them that. I absolutely love that. And you're right. I remember many of those conversations. Wait, you, what are you doing? You got your rid of it. Um, so but, Danielle, <laughs> <laughs> but Danielle, you're absolutely correct in, in every way, because as from a student perspective, from a teacher perspective, that instruction is everything, right? It's you're taking that very important piece. It's not the desired outcome. It's not the, did you read last night? <laughs> Those things are important, but you're actually providing that explicit instruction, which is our third major challenge that we have here. And being the instructor in the room and really considering once again, have I made every attempt to not only encourage my students to try, you know, this new way, this new tactic, and so on, provided those transparency, those, those printouts, those copies, but have I actually explicitly taught this? Have I actually brought that Expo marker up to the board and written exactly as my student has said it aloud? It's not my best guess as to what they'll think and have an, a pretty PowerPoint presentation. That's all fine and good. I'm guilty of that. I always want things to look really nice, but when it comes time to actually uh, building on that skill. Sometimes it doesn't always look so great, but it's an important, important step that cannot be overlooked. Yeah, and if there is a student that's contributed to the conversation, but it's not necessarily going to be in a way that if they're looking back at their notes, it's going to serve them, we'll, we'll take the time in order to figure out how we could put that in order to best help ourselves. So in those ways, we're having conversations about like, what is our end goal for these notes? Well, I'm going to have a quiz or a test, whatever it might be. Well, what's that going to look like? Well, depending on what that looks like, that might change the way that I'm taking notes on this particular topic, things like that. So again, while it's great if they know um, really, you know, small, details about some of the characters in the story that we're dealing with. More important than that is probably going to be the, but do they understand how to take notes? Because it's not even like that's going to be something that they don't need after they leave high school. They certainly will. And even if they're not taking notes at their job in order to turn them into a teacher, if they're sitting in a meeting, they need to know how to do these things. Yep, these are real, real life skills. Um, you had referred to how many markers I go through because without a doubt, um, but we had said at the beginning, we want to talk about, well, what does this look like in 2020 when I can't print out um, the very first of the Cornell note-taking uh, sheets that I've made for that particular uh, text. I can't tell them that they need to have a... Uh, you know, binder segmented in this way. How are we going to update and adapt it and make sure we're still explicitly teaching the note-taking? Yes, that is the question because we know that with all things we need to adapt and we need to ask a lot of questions. And, and in our research, we understand that there's a whole lot out there. And there's also a whole lot more of the college-oriented advice and research than there is for K through 12, which, you know, I'd like to see some changes with that. But I hope that by listening to this podcast, maybe you're asking some of these critical questions 
to help make these decisions for your own students and the way that you run your class. And we do have some criteria that we think will help to break down kind of the major questions in terms of what type of tool you'd like to use or maybe you're considering using in this school year as we adapt and we're not able to have what we normally do. Yeah, so if you do in fact want to use the Cornell note-taking method, um, I actually made a template of the Cornell note-taking method that we are going to be sharing. It's in Canva, but can easily be converted. Uh, so that way it's an editable PDF, so your students could take notes in that way. Um, and while we certainly love and use and recommend Cornell note-taking, you might be thinking, okay, so if I'm going to use that, what's the like software? How are they turning in these things? So that way I can check to make sure that they're doing this. And as Nicole mentioned, there's a lot out there, but it's not necessarily that there's from what we've seen, one best tool that is going to work in your second grade classroom extremely well, or it's going to work in your 11th grade Spanish class really well. So for that reason, we put together what are the key considerations that we should keep in mind as we're evaluating what will be our primary way of note-taking in our class. All right, first on our list. <laughs> The ease of transparency in sharing mm -hmm. this information. So we mentioned, you know, kind of in a, in a joking fashion, how teachers will walk around, give grades, so on and so forth. Students are participating, they're not, they're on task and not. And all that is a separate conversation in terms of running your class and procedures and so on. But actually being able to have access to this information from a student perspective and from a teacher perspective is what we're aiming at here, right? Yeah. Having students with a running Google Doc that's shared with you at the beginning of the marking period is not really helpful to you as the educator to have to go in and revise and, and review all that they've written with a, a massive, you know, a scroll bar down. That's just not an effective use of time. So being able to find a tool that would allow for that transparency and ease of transparency from both perspectives is, in my opinion, a high priority. Yeah, because, you know, if the students have gone through and, like, really given their all to taking notes, you don't want it to be a, a whole nother process for those notes to be given to you. So that way you can give them kind of a look over just to make sure that they, they are, in fact, doing the right things. So for that reason, we want to make it as user-friendly for everyone involved, right? And I think that a tool that's only student-facing that takes several extra steps to get to the teacher, not, not ideal either. <laughs> not ideal. And speaking of student needs and all of the differentiation that we have to consider, mm -hmm. that's yeah. another big consideration is does the tool allow for students with different learning needs to have accessibility? And yeah perhaps considering, are your students in need of text-to-speech options? Are they in need of recording media um, rather than having, you know, dictation or, or typing? So yeah. being able to anticipate that based on what you know of your, of your class and your roster is another consideration for sure. And that multimedia, how wonderful, right? If we're going to be taking notes in this digital space, and I think a lot of people um, are 
not so happy with the idea of taking notes in a only virtual way. Uh, I think, you know, the predominant uh, understanding is that handwritten tends to be better. Well, why don't we use what is already there in terms of technology in order to make the most of the kind of online space for note-taking? Um, so yeah, I, I think seeing that as a positive rather than a negative is also kind of a, a good mindset shift for us to have. And considering how a lot of these skills can be transferable to different subject areas across grade levels and even into real life, if you will, being able to ensure that students have access to these and you as the teacher have access to these notes in one place. You know, what's yeah. frustrating is to consider, oh, well, you know, math uses this one tool, English this one tool, they don't transfer. We have exclusive understandings of both and it's something that is only responsible, you know, only the teacher's responsibility to be familiar with that and being able to kind of have a tool that we feel like is more or less universal and can be used and we can even present it to our students as being yet another tool in their toolbox is, is a great way to also see, hey, I'm introducing this thing that I think will actually be advantageous for you as a student in your staff. Right. Especially because not every teacher is going to explicitly teach note-taking. You're, you're just not going to find that in every single subject because not every um, instructor is going to make that a priority. So now the students aren't going to feel maybe quite so lost. Um, and uh, you, you touched on it too, uh, in terms of the kind of universality of it is definitely something that I think should be you know, pretty high on our list in terms of what we're looking for and making sure that it's something that can easily be um, kind of sifted through and stay organized for the student. So that way they always know where they're going back to refer to something to. Um, I know I am super guilty of having a million separate Google Docs with cute names that may or may not be difficult to find a particular um, one when I am in search for it. And I know if I'm a pretty good note taker and I have that struggle, I think students would certainly have the same issue when it comes to, you know, making the move to taking quality notes online. So having everything stored in one place for easy reference for you, but more importantly, for easy reference for the student, I think is something that should be high up on your, your list of considerations. Yeah, can it be stored? Can it be saved? Can it be searched for? Yeah. Things feel pretty basic when we have pretty deep understanding of how you know Google works, <laughs> but if you're considering a number of tools, that's not yeah. always a priority for a tool that maybe isn't necessarily used for classroom settings. So those are right. considerations for you as the educator to think about because absolutely, I, I hear you with the titles, <laughs> trying to make sure that all of these things are easily, readily accessible. And next up on our list is to ask yourself the question, is this the right tool for my discipline? Yeah. I am in a foreign language classroom setting mm -hmm. and I know that there are a number of tools that are fantastic. On, Unfortunately, they don't allow for other languages to be used. In fact, they mark them wrong and therefore grade my students incorrectly or provide negative feedback to me as the educator. And being 
very aware of what the options and limitations are of each of these tools is really important. And it can't really be overlooked in terms of, you know, it has all the great bells and whistles, but if it doesn't provide that just basic functionality, it's not going to work for you. Yeah, if you read a million great reviews of this particular software, and there might be, there might be just a raving fan base, and they might be completely justified, but you're a math teacher, and you need to be able to have students use exponents or graph or something, but that's not in there, maybe it is one that you just have to pass on, and, you know, it's something that would work, but maybe there are other things that are better suited for your particular discipline needs. Definitely. And last on our list is the cost, considering the yeah. price of the item. Is there a free trial that's available? Do you then have to sign it for a year subscription? How does your school handle these kinds of things? Right. This is an interesting time in a lot of districts where we're considering how to revamp curriculum and the way that we grade, assess, and keep track of our students. <laughs> and I know that a lot of the educators that interacting with online are talking about how schools are kind of looking for teacher feedback in terms of how they can update what they've done. And there's limited funds, but there are some funds in order to make these really big and important decisions, right? Are you ready to make that, that move? And also that cost consideration is absolutely a variable you have to consider. Yeah, uh, I saw on Twitter the other day, um, a teacher posted uh, something about, you know, because of everything that's happening in 2020, unemployment is going to be a very real factor in a lot of families' lives. So as you're putting together the must-have list that goes home at the beginning of what you know the student absolutely needs to have, she was talking about why are there so many of these really pricey books? Was there any way to cut this down? And while that is a whole entire category of, you know, topic in and of itself that we're not going to dive into, cost, especially nowadays, is probably something to keep in mind. So even if it's the best tool ever, if it comes with a price tag or a limitation for the free version, just make sure that that's something you keep in mind. Definitely. Cost to the school versus cost to the family are two really yeah. different conversations. Yeah. And we do have a bonus. We do have a little bonus for you. <laughs> and of course, as teachers and teacherpreneurs, we're always thinking about what's the next edge? What's, what's the thing that will take whatever new tool, skill, resource to the next level? And of course, we've got you covered because in considering these new uh, tools for note-taking, perhaps this is something that you want to add to your teacher resume. Yeah. So if you were thinking about um, making sure that your TPT store and your TPT products are as, you know, transferable to the digital space friendly as possible. It might be a nice, you know, extra bonus piece when you're thinking about what works for your students, what works for your classroom, and also could it work for you too. Um, I know that when I purchased uh, Ashley Bible's uh, Brit Lit bundle, and we had Ashley on the show, she's at Building Book Love. Uh, one of the things that I really, really appreciated was that she had doodle notes, especially in the Macbeth unit. I 
thought that that was great because it was a way to make sure that students were picking out the really important things with a text that otherwise is extremely overwhelming. And I want to make sure that I give Ashley a shout out again because in all of her um, products, she makes sure that she has a kind of instructional video or a um, like informational text at the start about how to use this as an e-resource instead. So all of um, the stuff in her Brit Lit bundle is made in such a way that I could go to the copy machine and I can print out and I can distribute traditionally or everything is made in Google Slides so that way students can type in their notes uh, right right then and there, and at the end of those slides, they could submit it back to me. Um, some of the tools that I have been using uh, during remote instruction, like um, Pear Deck, allows for students to uh, obviously write their answers. There's also the little draw functionality that I have totally loved within Pear Deck. It's it's fun, um, but it's also really useful if you want to give your students a little bit more freedom in terms of what notes look like. Um, or even if uh, you're thinking about not just notes from the text, uh, another tool that I had been using, um, Parlay, which is at parlayideas.com, I believe. And we'll make sure we link all of these in the show notes. So when you are thinking about that that last little bonus maybe keeping in mind how you can make it something that is really attractive for other teachers um, so that way they can put it into their classroom no matter what their classroom looks like extremely easily and it'll make you stand out a little bit too if you're one of the few that are offering kind of this option for your resources i love that twist it's important and especially it's important. It's important for those, our, our listeners, we know, we, we understand how you're looking for that little edge. And of course, not just to say, you know, sharing with those that are purchasing or downloading your item, but even your fellow educators at school, right? Your colleagues at school and being able to be that resource for teachers who are also looking for a revamp to a procedure that they think they know really well and know how to do really well and maybe offering yeah. uh, another glimpse into uh, an alternative, if you will. And yeah. That really is the, the emphasis for today's topic is examining what we know, we know how to do, we know our students know how to do. And again, giving that updated uh, re-examination is so important. And we do have another bonus for everyone listening today, which is of course we provided all these criteria for making decisions for your unique classroom, your setting. And in extending that even further, that investigation even further, Danielle has put together a nice handy-dandy list of the resources that do cross a number of the items that we mentioned today. And of course, there's not a one-size-fits-all tool and not all of these things can be accomplished because of course your classroom is unique and it needs to be individual to you. Um, but just something else to consider, we do have that uh, extension blog post for you all that we'll make sure to link in our show notes today. So shout out to Danielle. And we wanna make sure that you're looking at that looking at that. While we absolutely love podcasting as a medium because we think it creates, you know, a great relationship because we think that it allows us to bring you PD when you're multitasking. This is something that we know you need to be sitting at your laptop or at your desktop computer in order to truly evaluate for your class. So in order to make 
that experience as easy as possible for you, we've got that round up for you. Evaluation is the name of the game. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and we hope this provides you the tools or at least some of the major questions to start to consider in making this, this decision for your students and for yourself this year. So cheers to a new school year and all of the new updates we're making. Absolutely. If you'd like to learn more about us and the services that we offer, head to everything.com.